We are in a series called The Basics. There are foundational, fundamental uh, pieces of all of life, but certainly the spiritual life is included in that statement. And so uh, we're just opening this year like we do most years, being reminded of who we are. If you don't know who we are, here at our church called Bay Life, uh, the church that God leads, uh, we seek to be uh, disciples uh, who live to glorify God by, by being disciples who make disciples. That's our mission, poorly formed and improperly worded, but that's basically the gist that I got you there. And uh, uh, so we, we're kind of uh, building these first three or four weeks of our time together in this new year around the basics that comprise discipleship. Last week we talked about the word, and we learned from Psalm 1 that the, the truly happy person is the one who meditates on God's word day and night, who, who knows it and lives it, and I challenge you to be more involved with it. Anybody uh, read the Bible more than four times this week? Some of you did. Some of you are nodding way to go. Keep going. Uh, dig in. Feed on what God has for us in his word. It's a basic of the Christ life. Uh, next week, as we uh, head into group link, we're going to talk about the we. Uh, that's the relationships that we're meant to have that are foundational uh, with uh, each other that are foundational in the life that we're meant to live for Christ and how we draw from the, each other the strength that he desires to give. This week, though, we're going to talk about the work. And some of you are like, oh, it's the weekend, Mark. Don't talk to me about work. I'm not talking about your jobs. I'm talking about the blessing that we receive to partner with Christ in the ministry that he's doing through us in the world. It's our uh, hope this week to understand how we can invest the things that he has entrusted in us uh, towards the ministry of his kingdom. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to Matthew 25, a familiar parable that we're going to be in this morning. But before we do that, as you're opening, time machine challenge time. Anybody ever uh, talk about if I had a time machine, I would? If you could go back in time, back to the future, uh, Michael J. Fox. Uh, actually built a DeLorean, it works, okay? Um, if you could go back to the future, turn to someone and tell the, the person next to you, uh, if you could talk to a, a younger you, what would you uh, ask yourself to change about yourself? Knowing what you know now, what would you ask yourself to change as you head into the future the second time? Everybody got it? What would you tell you if you could go back in time? That's the heater, you're fine, that's hot, that's hot air coming. <laughs> what would you tell yourself, go ahead. All right, for the sake of time. Anybody here uh, start in with some of the uh, bad choices you should avoid? Anybody start with those? Yeah? Uh, uh, who would tell your, your younger self to eat differently? Anybody? Hey Mark, lay off the Big Macs. Uh, uh, how many of you, this is kind of weird, it's kind of superficial, but how many of you say, hey, watch out for certain hairstyles. In about 10 years, you're going to pick this hairstyle, and it's just not going to work, and just don't, all right? Like mullets, anybody? Some, they're coming back. Has anybody seen the mud flap? It's back, man. The, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I've had some. We'll, we'll get into those a little bit later. Uh, I would have told my junior high self to lay off the Mork from Ork suspenders. Does anybody remember the rainbow suspenders? 12-year-old me was confident that these were going to be the next fashion, uh, you know, uh, trend, and I was horribly wrong. So avoid your bad choices. Anybody have some of those? 
How about make some better choices or even some better investments? Like if I get a time machine, I'm taking with me all the, all the record books for sports, and I'm telling me every year at the Super Bowl, bet <laughs> this team. You're not going to think they're going to win, but they totally are, trust me, and we'll be fine uh, once you get to you know, the later years of life. Is that cheating? Yes, it is. Don't do that. Anyway, but I'd also say to me, I'd go back to the year 1980. I was around then. Who was around in the year 1980? A lot of you were. I'd go back to me in 1980, and I said, listen, man, I know you just got a paper out, but whatever you can put into Apple stock... Just buy, 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 right? Did you know that if uh, you or I, maybe some of you did, if we had put $5,000 down on Steve Jobs and, and the Waz and, and the boys at Apple in 1980, that $5,000 would be $2 million today, right? Uh, anybody want to go back for that? Yeah. It'd be great to know uh, uh, things like that in our past so that we could... Um, you know, make a, a better future for ourselves. Uh, we, we, we get to this stage of life and look back on those choices, and, and we have this saying, hindsight is what? Yeah, we, we know now what we didn't know then, and we would have done differently then uh, uh, so that we could have a, a, a better now, but uh, it doesn't matter. No time, she, time machines yet. Uh, but what I want to go uh, with today is, is take us to a passage in the Bible that basically uh, goes forward in life and helps us to know what to expect uh, in the not yet and how we should fashion our lives now for this known future that God paints for us. Uh, God's word is an awesome, awesome uh, gift to us. Uh, it tells us about ourselves, certainly reveals him and his character but it also helps us understand what things are going to be. And we can have uh, uh, foresight 2020 and prepare and shape our lives accordingly. Um, anybody here had an end of the year review at your work? As a December, that's also a heater. As December rolled around, uh, maybe you were evaluated for your work last year and, and, and rewarded commensurately. Um, uh, when we get to the end of our lives or the end of time, whichever comes first, uh, we will stand in front of Jesus at, at two separate uh, judgments. The white throne judgment is where he's going to uh, send those who know him uh, onward into eternity with him, and those who don't uh, will go another way. And it's why we preach his gospel. We want everybody ready for that first judgment. But there's a second judgment, a second seat of evaluation. It's called the Bema. We keep doing this play every few years to help us understand this thing because um, what, what it reminds us of, this, this, this foretelling of this, this second judgment is that Jesus cares about what we're doing with what he gives us in this life. And he's going to assess our partnership with him, how we've invested. And here's what I tell you as we start out this morning. It's best to invest in what is eternal. That's gonna show up on your screen here. Yep. It's best to invest in what is eternal. Jesus said this uh, in an earlier part of Matthew as he sits down to speak to his friends in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
just a multifaceted phrasing of, of words here. There's so many things to glean. But what he's basically saying is like invest well. Don't invest in the temporal, subliminal. Invest in the things that matter over the eternal. We need to prioritize with Jesus the things that last forever. I tell you this all the time. All that matters at the end of time or our lives are two things. Whether or not I know Jesus by faith and have received him and what he gives to us through his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. That's first and foremost. But then the second thing that lasts are the things that I did with him and for him in life. Everything else gets stripped away. It's kind of like going through TSA these days. Remember, I was watching a movie the other day where there was no TSA. Does anybody remember the day when you could just, some of you have to be certain ages, some of you are like, what? Yeah, it used to be that you could just like get out of a cab like 10 minutes before your flight and just run onto a plane and no one said boo, right? It's wild how uh, things have changed in our world. Now, you gotta get there two hours early, why? Because they're gonna, you know, uh, basically scan every part of you to make sure that you, and, and who's grateful for that? I'm grateful for that, go ahead, take the time, make sure we're cool. I wanna get on a plane with some confidence. Um, but uh, they screen things, things you can't take. The Coke bottle that you are carrying, that you just purchased. Has anybody ever done this? You're like, I just purchased this, this soda to drink, and, I, and, and you see people. I, I, I just chuck, just trying to get this whole thing down so they don't waste their money. Uh, don't even get me started on large uh, shampoo bottles and any kind of anything that has a, a, a sort of blade on it, all of it screened out, stays here, get on the plane. Uh, eternity, spiritual life, has its own TSA screening. Uh, the things that matter, that, that make it through, or whether or not you know Jesus and what you did for him. It's a foundational, fundamental basic of the Christian life. This whole idea of investing in what's eternal for the glory of God. Uh, the flow of this kind of goes this way. God graces, okay, uh, he gives us his grace, and in that grace comes the actual gifts that he puts in our lives, and from that we receive from him that we might return to him what he has invested in us, and it kind of repeats. I was looking online today, um, I remember one of the first things I learned in science class was the water cycle. Does anybody remember the water cycle? Like, why does it rain? Well, son, um, the water collects on the earth and then evaporates, right? And then it con- condensates up in the air and then it precipitates and it just keeps going around and around and around. And this is kind of the picture that I have of, of God's gifts and graces to us. They're given to us that we might receive them and then return them to him in whatever form that he chooses uh, us to honor him with. Um, all of it for his glory, uh, grace, gifting, receiving, returning, glory. In Matthew 24, uh, before we get to chapter 25, the disciples come to Jesus and have a lot of the same questions that we do. They ask Jesus in verse three of, of Matthew 24, hey, what will the sign be of your coming and of the end of the age? Talk to us about how things are coming to an end. Jesus says a whole bunch in Matthew 24 uh, and then gives some parables of of basically illustration to help them understand better. Uh, There's three parables in Matthew 25, two of them very well known. Uh, The second one is where we're gonna be today. 
in the parable of the talents. And from the parable of the talents, uh, we will receive from Jesus himself his investment tips. Here's what I need you to understand about what is to come, how to prepare and how to invest in what is eternal. First tip, recognize that all we have is our masters. Jesus starts this story of the parable of the talents this way, for it, referring to the kingdom that is to come, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. And Jesus gathers his disciples and says, hey man, uh, when, when we get to, to, to the end of time, to heaven, uh, the master, and he, he, maybe he's like, the, wouldn't that be interesting if Jesus told parables like that? The master will, uh, will basically get with his servants, and he points to his friends, right? And they'll have this conversation. It'll be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusts them with his property. Uh, recognize that all we have is our masters. I say that here all the time. Has anybody ever heard me say that? Like whenever we give an offering, hey, thanks God for giving us this. We know it's yours and you've just entrusted us to steward it for you. So here's a portion of what yours is. Take it back and use it for your glory, amen. Anybody, I just prayed that like five, 10 minutes ago. Does anybody hear me say that? Yeah. Uh, I pray that because it's theologically accurate. Everything we have is his. Me, my possessions, my relationships, my abilities and talents. He's given me all of them. He's given me life first physically and life secondly spiritually, life anew. And because he's done all of this and given me all that I have, I live and you and I both should live to serve him. And it's like what Paul told his, uh, his new friends in Athens in Acts 17. He's there trying to share the gospel with uh, learned uh, Greek men. And they're you know, curious about his God. And so uh, he explains the one true God this way. He says in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by men. Uh, uh, Athens had a few temples to a few gods. And, and so Paul's explaining, yeah, those aren't real. And our God, the true God, does not live in a house like that. He says, nor is he served by human hands. Huge, weighty statement. He doesn't need us. We're, we're not on you know, some kind of symbiotic relationship with him. He doesn't need us, but he chooses us. He makes us and he loves us. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath, and so he doesn't have to keep going on with the list. What does he do at the end? Everything. All of it, anything a man has in its original and purest form, it's a gift from God. A little bit later in that same uh, presentation, he says, in him we live and move and have our being. Now, we understand this, right? Uh, maybe. If you have someone in your house who wears your clothes, like I'm not saying uh, that my wife wears my clothes, but my wife wears my clothes every once in a while. She, she'll, put, she'll put on, because I got huge clothes. My clothes are like blankets, right? Like if she could put on her clothes and then uh, still have plenty of room to put on my clothes. It doesn't work vice versa. Can anybody picture me in one of Eleanor's jackets right now? It would not be a pretty, pretty sight. But uh, there will be times where I'll come in and I'll be like, hey, uh, 
I'm about to go, you know, uh, you know, play around a golf or something. Have you seen that golf jacket I wear? And, and this happened just last week, and she, she, I haven't seen her yet. I'm in the other room, and she comes out, and she's like, you mean this one? And she's wearing the jacket. I'm like, yeah, babe, give me that. <laughs> uh, but here's what happened when Eleanor and I got married. What did I say? Uh, for better, for worse, richer, for poorer, sickness and health. I said that. But what I essentially said is what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. Now, this is what happens when you and I hit the planet. God basically says, uh, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. Because it's all from me. Get used to it. In fact, change your vernacular. When you refer to your house, say God's house. I know you think that's the church. It is his house there too, okay? But your house is the house of the Lord. Because he owns it. I pay the rent, I pay the, no, you pay whatever you pay from the money that he affords you and allows you to have. Everybody, okay, so it's not your house, it's God's house. They're not your kids. Some of you are like, thank God, yes, all right. Uh, (laughs) On days, right? But on the days when your kids are breaking your heart and you feel like, God, what are you doing? Just remind yourself, hey, he's got them. They were his kids before they were mine. They're not my kids, they're his kids. It's not my money, it's his money. I could go on, but can I just go on? (laughs) The first thing is recognize that all we have is our masters. The second thing is accept the master's distribution plan. To the one, it says in verse 15, to the one servant, there's three of them, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two. To another, he gave one, each according to his own ability, and then he went away. And some of us grew up in families where fair was fair and everybody got the same. And we come to the the body of Christ and we're like, well, why does he get those gifts and I got these? Why has he got more and I got less? And we obsess about comparison. What we need to do instead is understand that all of us, regardless of how much we have or what we've been given with, have been lavishly graced upon by our God. Uh, a talent here is, uh, it's not like a, you know, I can dance and sing at the same time talent. It is a weight measurement. Uh, in the Old Testament, one talent was 75 pounds. So uh, if we're talking about, you know, precious uh, ores like gold, uh, in today's uh, prices, um, if you have five talents of gold, I'm not going to be able to do the math, but that's like hundreds of pounds of gold. I do know how much it is worth. It's almost $8 million dollars. Seems like a lot, and, and basically, if you were back then, eight million was way more than eight million today because so few people had anything at all financially. So these servants who would have nothing were already almost, you know, were given by this master this figurative amount of riches that was just far beyond whatever they could expect. Same thing for the guy who got two talents. Same thing for the guy who got one. Anybody here going to be fine just taking a million and a half off, off of some master somewhere? Anybody go with that? I'm, master, come now. Give me that, please, all right? But that's what we have here. We've all been lavishly gifted by God. And God is the one, uh, referring to what we just talked about, who, who decides what, who gets what. It's his call. That's why some of us are better up front, and if, if I asked you to get up here and preach, you'd rather get run over by a bus than stand on this stage. It's just not who God made you to be. Some of us are great with details. And then there's the others. How's it going? It's just not my, 
my, uh, my, my given God-given ability. God decides uh, who gets what, and God also decides where our gifts are exercised. Look at me. Um, you are in a mission field wherever you're living right now. Wherever you go to church, wherever you go home, whatever neighborhood you're in, Got, people always talk about the mission field. Maybe someday God will send me to the mission field. He already has. He's planted you and the gifts that he's given you with the family that you have, the friends that you have, the relationships that you have so that he can use you in that mission field for his glory. The bottom line is this. Every one of us has a specific role that God has gifted us with uh, to play a, a part in his plan for, for all of those that he loves. Like 1 Corinthians tells us when he talks about that there's one body but many parts. We all play different parts. We can't all be eyes or ears or hands or feet, but we all play the role we're meant and God accomplishes his purposes through us. Now remember we said this, that God graces and gives that we might receive in return. And so uh, let's see what these servants do with what they've been graced and given. In verse 16, it tells us that the first two servants did something with what their master had entrusted them. It says, uh, he who had uh, received the five ta talents went out at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. Um, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Just a couple observations on, on these two guys. Now, first, their, their movement, their activity was immediate, at once. They didn't just kind of like sit and soak in a church for 25 years and then be like, hmm, okay, I guess now. No, as soon as they understood that the master had something for them to do and they discovered you know, or, or received from him this, this investment, this, this portion of his property, they're like, on it. And off they went to the increase that they sought for their master. They didn't just move effectively, they invested effectively. They doubled what they'd been given. It was strategic in its nature. Not so with the last servant. Some of you know the story. Uh, the one who had the two, or the one who had the one in verse 18. Uh, he who had received the one talent went, and what did he do? Got a shovel and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. I'm guessing uh, he memorized the rock it was next to or drew himself a map or something like that, went all Jack Sparrow on it. But uh, um, he, he just, he put it in the ground. Uh, job done and moved along. That leads us to this third thing. We need to recognize that all we have is our masters and that the, the master is the decider, the distributor of his things. But then we need to anticipate that what we do with what he gives is gonna uh, affect what we receive from him. Uh, we can anticipate a commendation for any yield that we might uh, incur. Uh, you guys know the story probably, but after a long time, the master of those servants in verse 19 comes back and settles accounts with them. Uh, and he who had received five talents came forward, and he brought, how many? Five more, doubles it. I think that's 100% return, am I right? Some of you math guys, yeah. He says, uh, Master, you delivered me these uh, five talents here. I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, here it is. We use it all the time. It's from this story. Everybody say it with me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Anybody ever said that to someone? Anybody ever said, you know, I hope when I get to heaven, God will say to me, or Jesus will say to me, well done, my good. This is the story it comes from. 
He says, I will set you over much. A lot of scholars think that there, there might be uh, uh, you know, responsibilities in heaven. And, and those who have been faithful with the little that they had here on earth will be trusted with much uh, there in heaven. I don't know that to be 100% true, but uh, at least there's an honor that comes with being a good investor of what you've received from the master. Enter the joy of your master, uh, Jesus finishes the story with. Uh, he says the same words. I'm not going to read them all, but the, se- the, the second guy who had two, how many did he bring back? Two, it was a double, 100% yield, and Jesus just repeats the same words that he had said to the one with the five. Don't get caught up in the mounts. Uh, The master is celebrating the yield and the increase of both. Uh, And so we come to this last thing. Recognize that all we have is our masters, accept the master's distribution plan. Anticipate a commendation for any yield, but then know that the master condemns a failure to invest. It matters to him what we do with what he gives. Verse 24 says this. uh, He also who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Ouch. (laughs) Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. It's basically uh, flowery talk to say, you are not to be trifled with. Even where you don't plant crops, you reap. And you're kind of in charge of everything, large and in charge. So I was afraid, this servant says. And so I didn't want to mess up. So I went and hid your talent in the ground, and then I've just dug it up for you. Here, have what is yours. Now, I don't know about you. If I lend somebody something and they give it back, I'm usually pretty happy. Like, if you borrow my lawnmower, I don't expect a second lawnmower when you bring it back. Right? That's just me. And so in human uh, you know, terms, we might be looking at this guy and being like, good on you. You didn't lose a thing. But is that what the master uh, brings as a, a commendation? No. Uh, This is what he says in verse 26. His master answered him and said, you wicked, it's the Greek word poneros, and slothful, it's the Greek word okneros, it means lazy. You wicked and slothful servant. Wicked and lazy, both words that I associate with uh, a worship of self. Wicked is certainly choosing me over what God wants. Lazy is, is not being bothered with the things that God would have me do. To the difference probably between spending and investing. Here's what's happening in a lot of people's lives. God is uh, providing from his property, from his, his grace, uh, all the things that he's gifted you with. And instead of, of taking those things and, and where possible, investing them for eternal gains, we're spending them on ourselves, benefiting from his, his grace to us over and over again and thinking of him not. Verse 26 goes on, he says, uh, uh, you wicked and slothful servant, you know that I reap where I have sown and not gathered where I scattered no seed. He says, you basically set yourself up here, bro. You know that I'm not to be trifled with. He says, well, if that's true, then you should have taken uh, the, the money that I've given you and invested it with bankers. Go down to Fifth Third or something and get something done, right? I don't know what you know, you could get on a CD right now, but uh, whatever you could have done with this, it was better than the hole in the ground you buried it in. 
because I've returned and you've done nothing with what I've given you. So then it gets really weird. He says, take that talent from that one guy and give it to the guy who has 10. Don't read too much into that. Uh, But the master's gonna go with the goers. Hey man, if you're not gonna do something with this, I'll find someone who will. For to everyone who has, uh, more will be given. And that person will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We gotta do some work on that one so we don't misunderstand it. But let me start uh, just by saying this. Um, this is the spiritual uh, wisdom that we gain from Jesus' story. His, his point is, use it or lose it. Who said that to someone before? Use it or lose it. Now, we say that to my father-in-law, Byron. Uh, he's 91 years old, slowing down. Uh, but, to, you know, God bless him. To his credit, he gets up almost every morning, and when Eleanor isn't there to you know, help him with it, he makes his own breakfast. He totally makes his own lunch because we're at work while that's happening. And he's in there, and, and in the you know, almost two years that he's been hanging out with us, um, he has slowed down his process. Anybody uh, living with uh, you know, the aged and just seeing the changes? Like he used to kind of shuffle around with his walker, and now he's, that's his chair now. And he goes to his places and it takes him longer, but he's still doing it. And some people might come on that scene and be like, hey, Mark, you're an able-bodied son-in-law. Get the guy's breakfast. And I say, nope. Why? Not because I don't love my, my father-in-law. I love him. But I want him to make his breakfast for as long as he can make his breakfast. And it's only when he's unable, obviously, that Eleanor and I will step in and provide him. Why? Because our physical abilities are to be used, and if we don't use them, muscles atrophy, and we lose the ability to do what we're able to do if we don't do it. The same is true in spiritual life. Let me start with those who might be here this morning, and you're kind of new to the whole Jesus thing, but you're hearing me explain this to you, that there is a God, his son is Jesus, you have sinned and I have sinned, and that sin has separated us from him, and so God has sent his son Jesus to be the bridge um, the, 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 the substitute that you need to take the penalty of your sin on himself so that through faith in him you can have life anew and eternal with the God who made you, free from sin forevermore. That's our gospel. You might be able to put it more succinctly, but that's essentially what we believe. Now, you've heard it. What are you gonna do with it? Most people who have not yet become Christians are kind of mulling it over or outright you know, rejecting it. And here's the picture that Jesus paints of you. You dug a hole and you've put it in the ground. The gospel is having no effect on your life. Here's what I'm here to tell you. If you come to the end of your time here or if Jesus returns before you get a chance to pass and you have not dealt with that gospel in a way where you have given your life, surrendered to your life to the the son of God who came that you might have life, then you will get the the reward, the punishment, the the consequence of the servant who buried his talent in the ground. I'm just being honest. I'm not a big hellfire brimstone guy. I don't like veins popping out of my neck when I talk this stuff, but that is our story, and we're sticking to it. I know a lot of you in here, you've made that decision. Good on you. God's grace to you. But here's the message for us from this parable. Maybe you've been picking it up as I talk to it. Once we receive Christ, he empowers us, imbues us with his gifts. 
He graces us with his gifts. And his hope is, is that we will receive them and return them to him through the service of our lives, the work that we accomplish with him and for him. So lose it here is not referring to salvation. Lose it refers to the blessing that we can receive from the master at his return as we've served him with what he's given us. It's like a gift within a gift. I received this gift from the bride and the groom of the wedding that I just did. Her sister, Rebecca, put Baylife Church on there. It's really cool. I don't know how you do it. It's like an etching thing. My name's on it, right? And this sat on my desk for like, I don't know, five, six days. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to try this thing out. And I opened the top of this thing, and I had never looked inside. And inside were Starbucks gift cards. I was like, wow, what a great idea. Coffee cup with coffee in it. Or the ability to pay for it, right? But I don't know how long this would have sat on my desk before I went, oh, here's the deal. When you receive Jesus Christ, here's your cup. Here you go, bud. Have life with me. But way too many people sit there with their fire insurance, their get-out-of-hell-free pass, and they're just like, cool. And they never open this thing up. And they never understand that there's way more to this Christ life than just dodging hell. There's life with him and for him and the blessings that come from that. When, when Jesus says, hey man, well done my good and faithful servant, it's the greatest words that anyone could ever hear. And if we fail to serve him, we miss out. I'll close our time just briefly with uh, something I saw this week. I was, I was digging around my, uh, my office for uh, something to put some notes in for the wedding that I was a part of. I found this folder, and as I am wont to do, I jammed a bunch of stuff in this old kind of, you know, uh, legal pad folder thing. Uh, one of them was uh, the actual uh, program for my dad's funeral. I, I had done my preaching from this folder at my dad's funeral. That was like 12 years ago. Uh, and then another thing was a, a DVD. Some of you don't know what those are. Uh, DVDs were these discs that uh, videos were put on for a time before everything was available online. And it was a, a DVD of a sermon that I preached here in my second year of being the pastor at Baylife Church in 2006. Um, I actually looked like this. Yeah, look at, look at, look at that young guy. Wow. But I, I have a question. Remember if you had a time machine, I would go back and I would t- go ahead to the next picture. I, w- I would talk to me about that hair. What's going on with that hair? Because I actually made it look like that on purpose. Anyway, if you have that haircut right now, it looks good on you. All right. Uh, <laughs> but it was in this message in uh, uh, January of uh, 2006, or maybe September, one of those, but uh, I talked about being pipes. And I, I talked about the importance of, of us uh, being these conduits for what God wants for us. So just real quick, and then we'll go home. Um, before sin came into the world, all of us uh, reflected the glory of God. That's why it's yellow. Are you with me? And, and we were perfect in relationship with him and perfect in ourselves. But then sin came in, and it capped us off. Uh, the grace of God uh, was removed from us, and we were set in uh, um, you know, opposition to him because of our sin. All right, but then Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, he, he, he uh, talks with lots of people. One of my favorite conversations he has is he talks to this woman at a well. Remember, and they were talking about water. And uh, uh, he asks her for a drink, and she's like, well, you didn't bring anything to get your own water? 
bum. And he says, no, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me for living water and you would never thirst again. There's lots of ways that Jesus describes his work on our behalf, but I like that one the most because when Jesus dies and raises again from the grave, he gives us the ability to pop the cap off and receive from him his gospel, which is his living water. And he fills us up. But some people uh, do that and never understand that the way, oh, there it is. I knew that was going to happen. It's okay. The way that it's supposed to work is that as he pours into us, we're meant to pour out what he's poured into us so that his gifts go through us to the world that desperately needs him. But here's what's happening in the world that we live in. In the church itself, there's an 80-20 rule. Have you heard of it? About 20% of the people do about 80% of the work. 20% of the people do about 80% of the giving. There's a lot of people who are just wearing themselves out on your behalf so that you can experience God here in his family called Bay Life, right? But here's what happens. They get so busy sometimes that they forget that they need to be fed themselves and a cap goes over the top of their lives and the, <laughs> the uh, uh, you know, the water... Uh, uh, effect of, of condensation, evaporation, and being fed fails because they're just too busy to give. Too busy to receive, I mean, from what God wants to give. If that's you, please make sure that you're getting fed so that you can continue to serve. I always liken it to like putting your mask on first in a cabin that has lost pressure so that you can help others put their mask on first. Breathe deep the oxygen that is our God and his truth so that you can keep going and serving him with me. Amen. Let me talk about the 80%. The 80% come in here every week and you're like, more water, more water, please, more water. Oh, it's so good to know Jesus. But nothing ever comes out. That's okay too. Why? Because you think this is all about you. About you receiving. About you having. And what Jesus just told us in this parable is like, no. I've given to you that you might invest for me and be poured out on my behalf. So this is who we are, uncapped, saved by the grace that only Jesus can give so that he can flow through us into a world that desperately needs him. So here's the question I need to ask us today. Maybe you're wondering it too. How do I invest? How do I invest so that my life makes a difference for eternity? Well, you invest with your treasures. If you're not a giver, start giving. I, was, I, I knew I was going to preach this, so I went into our uh, electronic giving. We give online, and I added to our giving. Not because I wanted to be able to say, see, I did it, you can too. But because I want to be the kind of giver that when I'm actually getting ready to preach and, and God's prompting me to tell you to be generous, I'm willing to be generous too. And so maybe you want to go online or maybe you want to go into your financial conversations and just figure out if you're not giving, how to start. If you are giving, should I increase? We need to be generous. Why? Because God is generous with us. And as he pours into us, we invest in his future and the eternal uh, nature of things by giving to his work here on earth. Be generous with your treasures. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your talents, not the weight ones, your actual ones, your gifts, Invest in the things that God could use you to do for his kingdom, whether it's serving here in, his, in the church or serving in some you know, other way in the community. Give of your time so that the things that you're giving yourself to last 
forever as much as possible. And I have one more question and then I'll let you go. What do you got buried in the backyard? What of your life are you going to lose because you're just not willing to give this part of you or this aspect of you to the glory of God? My prayer is this, that we all invest in what's eternal. It's what's best. We recognize it's all his. Accept his distribution plan. Seek his commendation when he comes. May he say to every one of us, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's my prayer for us. And we can trust him to be faithful. Will you stand with us as we sing?